We're doing a series on Moses, and we've looked at how Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace, and he was being groomed to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. But then he did things in his own strength, in his own time. Things didn't work out, and he had to flee the land of Egypt, and he spent 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness in Midian. But then he had an encounter with God. And God spoke to him through a burning bush and said, this is the time you can go back to Egypt and I will use you to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Just imagine those Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. When we think of New Zealand's history, Uh, You know, Europeans started arriving about 200 years ago. We're talking about 400 years, twice that period of time. And so they had become slaves to the Egyptians. And they cried out to God for God to release them from slavery. And so God prepared Moses. He encouraged Moses. And then he sent Moses to Egypt to help his people. And when Moses approached Pharaoh to ask him if the Jewish people could be released from slavery, Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And so God sent a series of plagues on that nation of Egypt. The first plague was that he turned the waters of the Nile River into blood. And all the other water courses in that land became blood. There was a terrible smell. The fish died in the river. And then he, um, there was an infestation of frogs. There were frogs jumping everywhere. He went to Pharaoh. And and Pharaoh says, what are you doing? Stop it. He says, all right, well, if you release the people, I'll stop it. And he stopped the frogs, and they all died. And they raked those frogs into big piles. There were many thousands of them. But then Pharaoh reneged and said, no, no, I'm not letting you go. So the next plague was gnats or mosquitoes. Now, you know what it's like when you've got a mosquito in your room at night, and every time you, you just get off to sleep, and zzz, stop, and you know it's on your face. And you get up, and you try and find the thing. Imagine if there's thousands of them, and you don't have insect repellent or um, fly screen doors. And so after the m- mosquitoes, there were flies, and flies spread infection. And still, Pharaoh resisted. And so then, God caused all of their animals to die. But all the animals of the Israelites survived. Then he inflicted the people with boils. Now, you may have had one infected spot on your arm. Imagine if your body is covered with boils. And we don't have the medications that we have today to deal with them. And uh, after the boils, there was a massive hailstorm that destroyed all the crops 
in the land. Then there was a swarm of locusts that basically ate up any remaining vegetation. And then darkness fell on the land for three days. But still, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, wouldn't release the Israelites from slavery. And so on an appointed night, God sent the angel of death to pass over the land of Egypt and to kill the first male child in every family. We know that children are extremely precious, that you would do anything for your children. And that was when Pharaoh finally relented. And he said, all right, you can go. Get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And so the death of Egyptian children was also the miracle of the Passover for the Israelites. Because if they placed the blood of a lamb on the lintel, the top of their doorway, that angel of death that was passing over that country would bypass that house. And the children in that house were spared. And then in Psalm 105, verse 37, it tells us that the next day, the Lord brought the people out of Egypt, loaded with the silver and gold, and not one of the tribes of Israel even stumbled. Now, isn't that incredible? They were so keen to get rid of them that they were able to go to their Egyptian neighbors and say, look, give me your gold and your silver or I won't go. <laughs> so they went out with all the treasures of Egypt. And the last part of that, as they're on their way out, there's no cripples. They're all able to walk out of the land. An amazing healing miracle had taken place. There were people of all ages. They're all fit and they're all healthy, able to walk out in their own strength. Two and a half million people walked out of that land that day. And then God said to the Israelites, I want you to never forget this incredible miracle that I have done today. And every year since that occasion, Jews around the world celebrate the Passover. They kill a lamb, they eat the lamb and the Passover bread, and they drink the Passover wine. And that Passover takes us back to when Jesus was on earth with his disciples. Because in Matthew 14, verses 12 to 26, it tells how Jesus gathered with his 12 disciples to celebrate the Passover. And we're talking about 2,000 years later. So let's read about what happened when Jesus took the Last Supper the Passover with his disciples. It says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take Eat it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. 
and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus added a new meaning to the Passover. He was going to be the new Passover lamb. It was going to be his body that was broken, that would save the people. And so the bread and the wine became symbols of what was about to happen to Jesus. The bread represented his body that was going to be broken. The wine represented his blood that was to be shed. His life that was to be sacrificed. This was the reason why Jesus came to earth. He knew what lay ahead for him. It was God's supernatural plan to pay the price for the deliverance from human sin. And so the tragedy of Jesus' death was replaced by the joy of the resurrection. Jesus died just as he said he would. But then he rose from the dead. And he appeared many times to his disciples. And then he returned to heaven. His followers missed him. He'd been their friend, their teacher, their savior, and their Lord. But now he'd gone. They talked about him. They told stories about him. They wrote down what he had said. But they wanted something more. You know, have, have you ever taken a photo of someone, someone that you dearly love, and not long after you've taken a photo, that person died or moved away somewhere else? When you took that photo, you probably didn't realize that it was going to be the last photo that you were going to take. But you often look at that photo, and now it's a lot more important to you than you ever imagined. It helps you remember the good times that you used to share with that person. That's how it became with the followers of Jesus. Not with a photo, but with the bread and with the cup. Every time they focused and celebrated this meal, they thought about Jesus. It was as though Jesus was back with them again. A ritual that may seem unimportant and routine has become something that is now cherished. It helped them remember all that Jesus had done for them. Now, the Apostle Paul wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. And he wasn't with Jesus at that last supper. But like us, he remembers Jesus through this meal called communion. And let's read what Paul says about communion from 1 Corinthians 11 verses 24 to 26. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion is not just a meaningless ritual. It has deep spiritual significance. Jesus is spiritually present with us in the communion in a very special way. We may not fully understand it, but we can personally experience it. And Paul goes on to explain this in the next few verses. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 33. He says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, without considering Jesus, meditating on Jesus and what he's done for us, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so these verses are saying that God takes communion very, very seriously. Communion is a time when we examine our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with each other. And so when we come to the table, we're to examine ourselves. We're to see if we have resentment towards other members of our congregation. We're coming to a table of forgiveness. Jesus forgave us our sins. And so it's wrong for us to be unforgiving. We're coming to a table of cleansing. And so we're to confess any uncleanness in our lives. We can't be a thief or an adulterer or a dishonest person during the week and expect to be a saint when we come to church on Sunday. It's wrong to pretend that we're pure and righteous if we're living a double life. This double standard can also affect our emotional and our physical health. Maybe you have a hardened heart like Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew that the God of the Israelites was the true God, but he didn't want to yield to that God. There may be people here this morning, and you've heard the story of Jesus, and deep down in your heart, you know that it's true. But you don't want to yield to Jesus because you want to live your life your own way. God can melt any hardened heart. He can give you a soft heart of flesh. And so before taking the Lord's Supper, spend time examining who you really are. Clean up your relationship with God and with other people. Take this time seriously. It's not just a routine tradition. It's a mysterious, supernatural 
encounter with the living God. At the same time, if you have made mistakes, you've done things that are wrong, if you repent of your sins, you are most welcome to come to this table. To say to a person, you can't come to the Lord's table because you've done wrong, is like saying to a starving person, you can't eat any food until you get over your malnutrition. We're called to come to this table to receive forgiveness for our failures and to receive God's nourishment and power for living a Christ-like life. Honesty, integrity, and humility are required. We're to confess and repent of any areas in our lives that are displeasing to the Lord. You know, in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there's another verse on the screen, John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will in no wise turn away. If you come to Jesus this morning in repentance, he's not going to say, look, get away, you're too bad for me. He's going to embrace you. He's going to welcome you with open arms. The other really exciting thing is that there is provision for physical and emotional healing in communion. When it talks about partaking in an unworthy manner, there's an additional meaning to that. Because the Greek word that is translated as worthy has to do with weight. And in ancient times, coins were made out of precious metal, like silver and gold. But over time, those coins would wear, and the weight of those coins would become less. And so they were worth less than they were originally. And so here Paul is saying, when you come to the Lord's table, recognize the full weight the full worth of what Christ has done for you on that cross at Calvary. Come and receive full forgiveness, full deliverance from evil, and full healing. Not only was Jesus' blood shed for our sins, his body was broken for our suffering and our sickness. In Matthew 8, verse 17, it says, Jesus himself took our infirmities and our sicknesses. He's taken our sicknesses as well as our sins. And though, though that verse is repeated in Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 and 1 Peter 2 verse 24 where it says that by his wounds we are healed. And so forgiveness of healing and many other blessings are available to us through the cross. Paul is saying that many who'd come to that table unworthily were weak and sick because they weren't drawing on the full weight of all the benefits that Christ has made available to us as his sons and daughters. And so as his disciples this morning enter into the celebration of victory, the Passover lamb, Jesus, was slain so that we could be set free. 
And so let's examine ourselves and accept his forgiveness and his provision for healing. Thank him for providing that blood sacrifice that releases us from slavery to sin. Tell him about our weaknesses and frailties. Ask him for his forgiveness, his healing and vitality. Okay, we're going to enter into a time of communion now. And at the end of communion, the elders and ministry leaders and people in this church who have a gift of healing are going to be available at the front of the church to minister to people that want prayer. There are people in this church that have sick, have emotional and physical health needs. And if you want to come forward and receive prayer, then it's our privilege to pray for you this morning. Let's uh, just look at one more verse, verse from James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that through the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross, we have been delivered from slavery to sin and death. We break the power of the enemy and we release people from captivity in the name of Jesus. Through Jesus' shed blood this morning, we loose on earth what you have already willed in heaven. And we pray that your kingdom will come, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.